Welcome to another exciting edition of Near Mint Comic Radio, your local comic shop shrunk down, gamma-irradiated, sworn to protect the world that fears and hates it, and aired live-ish every week, only on the non-productive network at the only place that would have us. I'm your host, Frank, joined in studio as often by Pete James and John Trumbull, writer for Back Issue Magazine from Tomorrow's Publishing. Hi, John Trumbull. Hi, how you doing? Uh, John Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm very glad that you're here, since you're the only person who's ever read the book we're reviewing this week before, uh, this, before week. this podcast yes john trouble from back issue magazine from tomorrow's mm-hmm. is uh here joining near mint as we are reading for the first time crisis on infinite earths wow yeah, we're a little late to the party i had no idea that you guys had not read this before we're i was just assuming because it's such a basic thing it is the building block of event comics yes uh, marv wolfman george perez 1985 legendary and in fact i bet you that most of our listeners probably know most of the broad strokes of this even if they haven't read it before oh sure it's one of those books that everybody talks about but nobody's ever actually read like, that's right like Watchmen or v for vendetta sure whatever <laughs> you i've monster. read those too uh so here's the basic premise of the next few weeks on near mint we're going to be reviewing crisis on infinite earths the original uh, over a couple of weeks Basically, in in pairing with the crisis event that's going on in the CW Arrowverse, is it officially the Arrowverse? I don't think it's officially anything, but it's pretty much what everyone calls it. Uh, Winterverse. No, I, uh, I don't I, know about that. I've uh, never Arrowverse. cared for the name Arrowverse. I, I like Green Arrowverse. Arrow is not that big of a thing. I like Arrowverse it's, better than Lentiverse. Lentiverse? This is what you said? Oh, Berlenti. Berlenti. Sorry, Berlentiverse. Lentiverse sounds like a pasta. <laughs> um, but so, you know, props to DC Television for doing something interesting. Mm-hmm. I'll give them that. And this crossover that's supposed to end all crossover events should be very exciting. But we're going to talk about the comic book that launched the entire concept, more or less, of a crossover event book. Mm-hmm. So. Trumbull, you're the only one who's actually read this at the time, and you are a noted comic book historian. I feel like I can call you you that. I I think you can, too. You're a writer on Back Issue Magazine. Mm -hmm. Uh, You've hosted many a panel that I've desperately wanted to go to, but I'm not going to get Comic-Con tickets. Come on, be serious, folks. Some of them are up on YouTube. I'll send you some links. Nice. I can watch YouTube at home. Yeah, so let's talk a little bit about the backstory of this thing. Why did Marv want to write this? Actually, I, I brought my collected edition here with me today, and Marv has a very nice introduction that he originally wrote for the hardcover in 1998, so it was like 13 years after Crisis was done. And he talked about how this sort of originated in his fan days. He created a character. He wanted to do like a big crossover of all a company's characters, because with DC, they had the Justice League, which was all their big heroes, and they would uh, once a year team up with the Justice Society. Right. Who were the the golden age, the the hero equivalents from the 1940s. Right. Now, yeah. This is Marv Wolfman. As a kid reading this would probably be like in the 60s, I guess. Um, Maybe 50s, uh, 60s. Probably late 50s, early 60s. I don't know Marv's exact age, but he's a, he's a Silver Age baby. So, so at, he's, he's growing up reading Silver Age at stuff. At this point, DC has already got a, a quote, multiverse problem. Right, yes. you've got people who've. I wouldn't right, call it a problem at that point. At that point, there maybe not, but it's certainly an issue. Where and actually, he talks about it in that very forward mm-hmm. that there was concern that this was um, uh, preventing people from onboarding into comics. Yeah, you had to know about all the historical golden age comics and all the uh, the, the 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 early part of the silver age, and that it may have been. Tr- problematic for new readers yeah now see i don't know if i entirely buy that premise because i understood this stuff fine when i was 10 there was a justice league on one earth there was a justice society on another earth they were separated by the vibrations they're in different dimensions and i don't think you have some duplicate heroes i don't think that was the issue i think uh uh sorry james you raised your hand politely and i have to address (laughs) yeah what what is that well i mean I'm a new reader to this. Mm-hmm. I know DC mostly broad strokes. I've read a lot of, um, you know, best hits from Batman, Superman. Then there's like the animated series and, and all then, the yeah. stuff. That and then most of the massive. rest right. of my stuff is this animated series and other takes on these characters. 
And I'm going to say we're two issues in, I think, in this first chapter, and I am a little confused. Well, let's dial yeah. this back, though. We're, yeah. we're talking about the origin of why to do this. So when Justice Society and Justice League meet up, that's just cute. That's fun. Mm-hmm. It's a yeah. crossover. It, it was a once-a-year event, right. and it was it was always exciting. It would happen during the summer when you're out of school, and you'd have two or three issues where these teams meet up, and you got like over a dozen heroes, and they're all off... Right. Crossing over from Earth to Earth and fighting big cosmic menaces. Pete, you had something to say? I think where a lot of the problems came up were the properties that DC began acquiring, like Fawcett. Right. Mm -hmm. And was Atlas Comics, was that with... uh, No, Atlas is what became Marvel. That's right. I'm I'm trying to remember which one uh, Uncle Sam uh, was. They bought Charlton Comics. Oh, Quality Comics was Uncle Sam. Yeah. 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 Well, clearly there's a lot. And we go from Marv Wolfman as a little kid thinking, oh, man, this is fun doing these crossovers. I I want this all the time, to Marv Wolfman as a working adult saying, yeesh, (laughs) there's a lot going on here. And how, does, how does Kamadi uh, relate to <laughs> Commandy. The, Commandy, Sorry, yeah. R- relate to the Legion of Superheroes. Well, right. and he yeah. says, "Let's let's. How about we just have a universe-spanning event? Get everybody in the same room, sell a lot of comics, and you know, and clean we'll up straighten work it all out, yeah. and it'll be much more accessible." to new readers and it won't confuse James 30 years down the line. And my favorite thing about that opening essay is that, I mean, as a concern that, uh, you know, editorial had at the time of, will this be accessible for new readers? Do new readers, do readers get shied away from number ones on comics? Which, I mean, how much have we gone 180 on that? (laughs) All the things that he brought up in that story are still Mm -hmm. concerns for the comic industry today. Yeah. Uh, Is it too convoluted? Is it too complicated? How do we get people from the movie theaters into the comic shops or from into their apps or whatever it is? And that's still a concern today. But the first Attempt, probably not even intentional, the first attempt to tackle this with a a universe-spanning event comic is Crisis on Infinite Earths, where the multiverse is at risk. The entirety of the multiverse in the DC multiverse is potentially going to be destroyed because of some huge event that we don't quite understand quite yet in the in the first two issues. The, the tagline was, worlds will live, worlds will die, nothing will ever be the same. And Ooh. I would say they lived up to that. I see yeah. they, would live, they lived up to this one more than they've ever lived up to anything since, which yeah. is a lot more catty than I intended. I am sorry, DC. Please sponsor the show. <laughs> All right. Let's talk a little bit about our histories with it. We, we teased yeah. this early on. James, you've never read this before. No, uh, uh, and I'm not even a big comics DC guy. Most of my experience with DC is from the animated series and mm-hmm. even the live action TV stuff that's going to be tackling this in a few weeks. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. Uh, do you know anything about Crisis? Did you did you know, or did you, was the phrase just, just the broad it? strokes? I I know that um, you know I know the phrase. I know some of the iconic imagery. I know that it was kind of the first big crossover comic, an attempt to kind of clean up everything DC mm-hmm. had going on, uh, and that's pretty much it. Pete, your idea yeah. was to do this. Yeah, and I, I've actually never read the the whole series either. I'm a uh, as as frequent listeners know, I'm a make mine Marvel guy. Mm. Uh, I got into DC initially. I started following a little bit uh, around the death of Superman and Nightfall, uh, and early nineties sporadically. Yeah, yeah, early nineties. So that that would be so like I, five six years after they wrapped yep. this up. And th- this was an icon- already an iconic event it, from my perspective when I got into it. Oh yeah, and definitely. I'm I'm aware of the broad strokes of the effect that this had. But I, I've never actually read all the events of the story. I, too, got all the broad strokes from reading at this period in the mid to late 80s. I was a comic reader. I was mostly a reader of whatever my cousins would let me have after they were done with it. I was a hand-me-down reader mm. um, or whatever I could read at, a, at the, uh, the stands in the, in, the, in the convenience stores, you know, not even a comic shop. So I definitely, this is part of the conversation in the playground. Everyone was talking about the broad strokes of what was going on, but I think I was like, I had to have been in elementary school at the time. It, it, oh, yeah. it was a little early, uh, <laughs> but I never actually sat there and read anything other than a few out-of-place panels. John, what about you? I had already been a reader at this point. I started reading comics, particularly DC comics, in the late 70s, early 80s. 
And when Crisis hit, I was like 12, 13 years old. So I was perfect age for it. I was old enough to have an appreciation for what the old continuity was. and But it was really exciting that they were going to come in and redo and revamp everything. And yeah. and you're getting you had that sense of getting in on the ground floor for oh, all yeah. this stuff, um, so it was it was a lot of fun. And I was I was a big reader of the Justice League. That was one of the uh, the books that I subscribed to initially when I did my initial four subscriptions, <laughs> and uh, and so I was familiar with the Justice League, the Justice Society. I'd gotten a lot of background on some of these characters, so I, I was pretty well versed in what I needed to be versed in before I started reading this, and it was it was fun to reread this. It's an experience reading this book. So it starts off uh, pretty straightforward with a dramatic opening that 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 style of dramatic opening will haunt event comics for the next thirty years, effectively. Uh, that first uh, that first page, I literally had to go back and make sure it wasn't duplicated in Infinity Gauntlet. I, you know <laughs> what? I looked it up. I looked up publication dates. I was like, how close were these two? And there's a good, there's a good five years oh, between yeah. the two, or at least between um, Thanos Quest and and, yeah. and this. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, it's this big sweeping look over. We're, we're this isn't an annotated podcast. We're not going to go panel by panel. But it, the start is a good place to start, and it introduces the or reintroduces the concept of the multiverse and how something is not right and there's something going on. In fact, we immediately see a world being destroyed in media res. Mm -hmm. Worlds will be destroyed here. Mm -hmm. And interestingly enough, I did not expect this. The first world or universe or whatever that's being destroyed is a Earth we've seen before. Yes. Well. Yeah, we absolutely. This is crime syndicate. Earth 3. No, that's the second one. The f- the, there's a world destroyed before oh, that. Just, you're the right. very first Few one is seconds. unnamed. Right. Yeah. The ones with Ultraman and Power Ring. In a right. splash page. Yes. And Superwoman and Owlman and Johnny Quick. Who yes. were, they were basically an evil Justice League. Well, no, that's, so then, that's yeah. the second world. Uh, so the very first splash page is a world being destroyed. It's where we meet our... Um, uh, Pariah, but although we don't yeah. have his name yet, mm-hmm. uh, and I actually have no idea because we've only read two issues for this. I have no idea who Pariah is, no concept. I'm not sure if he em- ends up becoming someone later on. You basically get his basic deal in these first couple issues. He is a really uh, distraught, whiny guy who goes <laughs> from Earth to Earth just in time to see it destroyed, and he agonizes about that. With so, lavender hair, or at least lavender say, in the recolor. I, imagine, if you if, if you don't have this in front of you, imagine Adam Warlock with a vitamin D deficiency. Exactly. I, I almost <laughs> thought you. he was like, yes. I like that. I like that a Thank lot. Thank you. I was like, this is Adam Warlock, kind of. Down to the Adam Warlock uh, mascara. He's, yeah, yeah he's got the black around his eyes, and so yeah, I he's almost, got the kind of poofy hair. One of the reasons I looked up the date, I'm like, is this really just a thumb the nose at Adam Warlock? Or is Adam Warlock a weird, like, no, I could do this less whiny. <laughs> I, time-wise, I never made track. a connection between the two characters before, but I can kind of see it. Yeah. 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 So yeah, our first universe that gets destroyed, we don't, we literally know nothing about it. They just, they're just, you just see um, Pariah lament that he can do nothing, which is a pretty dark way to start. And mm-hmm. it doesn't get any lighter. The second universe in the next page after the splash page is the crime syndicate world. Right. So I'd never heard of this crime syndicate world. Okay. And I definitely was trying to take this seriously because it's a very big, <laughs> like... Oh, that was your first mistake. This is 1985 <laughs> comics. You can't take it too, too seriously. seriously. Uh, so yeah, it's obviously a very big, like, hard, terrible thing for these people. Uh, uh-huh. But then I got to their names and I, like, was chuckling to myself <laughs> their names the entire time. They were, they were created in the early 60s in the Silver Age. So there there is a certain... If you're looking at it from today's perspective, there's a certain goof factor. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that said, I kind of liked Lone Superhero Lex. Was, oh, yeah, that yeah. was interesting. Yeah. Uh, it, let's uh, just... Picking out art right now uh, and period, right? So you look at George Perez's Owlman. Owlman, kind of a funny name. Not that funny of a name, but a really goofy costume. Right, he's got the bright orange cowl yeah. and Batman everywhere else. And his his deal was he had a super brain. He was like super smart. Mm. Um, 
but he was not super fashionable, but <laughs> he was super he smart. He didn't have access to a color wheel. Why no. does that look stupid on him, but not so much on Hawkman? Sure. It's uh, th- basically the same as Hawkman. But if you look at the terror in the face of Owlman, where he yeah. actually is there, you can. there's a period of time. This is... This is straddling two periods of comic book where this is just going to be fun. It's going to be maybe mm-hmm. high stakes, but maybe we'll reset the clock. It doesn't really matter. If the next writer picks up the book and everyone's alive again, no one will care. And a period where, no, things are going to be grim. Things are going to be serious. Things are going to be dark. It's not quite grim dark yet. We're not Watchmen yet. But we're, right. we're getting to the point where we're going to show this character terrified because he's helpless facing his own death. And it's also a really effective opening because these are all parallel characters to the Justice League, to Superman, Batman, Flash, Wonder Woman, Green Lantern. And you see them die and fail pretty miserably. Um, and And that right there, that tells you this is something that could kill Superman Green Lantern, Wonder Woman, Flash, and Batman. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so but only the, the bad ones. S- the stakes are really high. <laughs> I mean, because they have s- the same powers and the same ability. They do, yeah. 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 Goodness will save them. It's a great way to set stakes, despite, <laughs> mm-hmm. despite the pedantic little kid <laughs> screaming about goodness. Uh, it's a good way to set stakes um, in this it, it, really early on. And I, there's something about the fact that this is a known universe. Yes. That dies. It's not just yeah. we created, yes, they did in the previous Smash page, but it's not as if it was just, you know, mooks. Or, yeah. or and, and they'd been featured in the JLA, JSA crossover just uh, maybe a couple years before. So I was very, I was already familiar with these characters. And it was wow. like, oh, whoa. Okay. Yeah. And there are characters that have actually come back in, to some degree uh, in certain properties. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we've seen Alamut. We've seen the evil Justice League. And it's like, I think we recently had that in one of the uh, DC animated movies. I believe so. I yeah. can't remember which uh, one. Crisis on Two Earths. Oh, was that it? And uh, Grant Morrison did a, uh, a graphic novel that was called Earth 2, where he basically mm. revived the, the crime syndicate. I believe Owlman was even in a episode of Batman Brave and the Bold. Probably. No, Batman Brave and the Bold? What is that animated no, series? that's the one. Was it? Brave yeah. And, yeah. yeah. The cute, more kitty one. I Something think it's like Brave that. and Bold. Bra- okay. No, it's no. Brave and the Bold. Oh, okay. Right. So, yes. Uh, but we, we also have a moment of, I guess you're starting off a DC story, giving a Superman an uh, analogy? No. Allegory. Yeah, I was yeah, going to say, I don't know yeah. if anybody else yeah. noticed this, but there were slight parallels between <laughs> Lex Luthor sending his son. How do you mean? Uh, how, how, how do you, well, you understand? I, I mean, they, I, did, I they that, do everything short of, like, actually playing the John Williams music <laughs> from Superman the movie. Really? Because uh, I, thought, I thought I read that they did play that. <laughs> it's penciled in in notes. Yeah. There we go. Okay. Yeah, play your Frank, copy. It's in the annotated, play right? now. It's in the annotated. Yeah, uh, yeah it's pretty. It's the, because I, we should back up and explain. On Earth 3, where all the heroes are villains... We have one single hero who in this world is Alexander Luthor, who's a, a, a nice scientist who's bald and has a wonderful red goatee. And, and in this universe, he is in love with Lois Lane. And we find out in Crisis One that they've, they've gotten together and they have a young son. Mm-hmm. I, so. I really liked this. I know yeah, it's too. heavy-handed, but <laughs> I liked it. I liked it a lot. Mm-hmm. We're talking about spanning periods. This is the time to be a little heavy-handed and get away with it. Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. It was uh, a few years ago. I was interviewing uh, Jerry Conway, who's written like a ton of Bronze Age oh, yeah. comic books. He's the guy who killed off Gwen Stacy, if you don't know. Mm-hmm. And he had a great quote. I was talking to him about some issue of the Justice League he'd written, and he was like, "The Bronze Age comic uh, of." The Bronze Age of comics was the last era where you could get away with stuff like that. You could just be goofy and weird. You still had a, enough of that Silver Age flavor that you could do it. Right. And so that, that's why I love the Bronze Age so much. It's the best of both worlds. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And it comes across. And, of course, the stakes also come across. Uh, when uh, baby Luther goes hurling through um, the, the various multiverses, mm-hmm. uh, eventually landing to our, I guess protagonist at this point that's all we know uh the base of the protagonist or into some jsl satellite i'm not going to do the uh, the broad strokes they beam him into the the jla satellite but uh, what they didn't know on earth 3 was that the jla had abandoned that satellite right and we were they were off in uh the rather underwhelming jla detroit 
team. Right. But they sent him to a dead satellite. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Whoopsie. well, the end. Uh, which is the equivalent <laughs> to Kansas. Anyways. <laughs> ooh. No, this is where we meet uh, Lydia, is what I believe she's Lida. called? Lida. 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 And, and before she becomes Harbinger, but very shortly before she becomes that. And she speaks to this unknown person who is, uh, we, we will later find out in this issue, is the Monitor. Yeah. Well, um, she refers to him as the monitor. Yeah, now, says, now the, we just don't see him. The yeah. monitor, we DC readers, we kind of knew about the monitor at this point. He he popped up in sort of cameo appearances, and he was always this shadowy figure. And he was basically like a supervillain arms dealer. Yeah. He, he would sell weapons to the bad guys, or he would give them henchmen for a particular thing. And they'd been teasing this for probably a year. Before Crisis One, hit. and the interesting thing is, it's uh, the despite that that sounds like well, this is just a recycled villain that doesn't quite fit the big scope they give him later. Uh, apparently, Marv Wolfman had this in mind since he was the librarian back in his fanfic. He created him <laughs> as a kid, yeah, yeah, and he he was like, oh yeah, this is going to be a guy who kind of watches and monitors everything, and he's going to be called the Librarian. <laughs> Which is every child's worst nightmare. Yes, yes. I'm going to charge you five cents a day. You could almost... Okay, no hate yeah. mail from Noah Wiley, please. <laughs> <laughs> or fans. Uh, so this, I like I like tracking the, um, the creation of this, because the Monitor obviously monitors the, the multiverse and is the one who's getting the heroes together mm -hmm. to fight this battle of heroes and villains, just characters together. Right. Um, we know that he was hinted at in in earlier comics uh, as an arms dealer who is, uh, you know, helping villains. And we also know a little bit about what Marv was writing for this. He was a librarian. Now, I think, in my opinion, the problem with comics in this period is that doesn't really track. The arms dealer villain guy who eventually monitors all the multiverse yeah. and tells people that, oh, there's a crisis coming, doesn't feel like the same character. Not at all. And they kind of address it, if not in this issue, the next issue, I believe, is where they say, well, why were you uh, dealing with all those weapons to criminals? He's like, never mind that they, they It is such a hand wave. It is. And and it is, it is still one of the huge, in my opinion, one of the huge plot holes in Crisis but, is... Okay, is why was he helping out all the villains and only the villains? Yeah, and, but and, I think it kind of makes sense if you dial the clock back and see what his what Marv Wolfman's writing process was. Mm -hmm. Starting off with a hey, you know, what'd be cool a villain who monitors all the other like all the heroes knows their secret identities, and he sells that information to the villain to other villains. Mm -hmm. You've got a person who is basically a a, a monitor, someone who is paying attention to all this stuff, may stumble upon some information that is important, and that's why they become essential to the next story. But you could almost see the drafts happening in the background. Uh, yeah. So it's it's both fascinating and a kind of a plot hole, but it's, this is how the sausage is made. I, think, made. They, I yeah. think they do a little bit explain, if, if I can give Marvo a, a little bit of a defense, uh, that... He he makes a comment about he's been monitoring all the heroes and mm -hmm. testing and them. testing them. They do yeah. a good yeah. It, it, he said something like, "Oh, this was to add to my data or something yeah, like yeah. that." And it's and just like, don't get me oh, wrong. Okay, <laughs> this is the great part of writing in what's modern American comic publishing is because you you don't have control over the toys handed to you. Mm -hmm. When you get in charge, you have to make it work. And if you can make it work, good. For, that's what makes you a legend. And I, I think this does work. Marv yeah. had more control over his toys than, say, the writers over at Marvel, who got handed the toys from Secret Wars. Right. <laughs> I mean, you, you also have to remember, at this point in time, Marv Wolfman and George Perez were working on the new Teen Titans, which was DC's best-selling yeah. book at the time, by far. I mean, it was it was comparable with Uncanny X-Men. So they were like the 500-pound gorillas of DC Comics. They mm -hmm. could do whatever they want, and I'm sure that's how Marv was able to push this through. Right, and that's why it took they had years to come up with the story. It's, Speak, like, why, yeah. it's like how Marvel ended up with Bendis and Hickman <laughs> and comics now, we've been getting. Speaking of 500-pound gorillas, let's talk about the people that Harbinger goes out to Oh, recruit. nice transition, Frank. Thank you. Very we do, good. We point out our transitions, I wanted ruining to make it. that one. <laughs> no. Dudes, go for it. That was... No, I lost it. All right, Salt. thank you. So, yeah, uh, these are these got to be characters that are familiar to you, uh, James. Do you know uh, Gorilla City? 
Yeah, you obviously, I know Gorilla you, City. You know King and, Solovar? Well, obviously. Solovar I know is a name City. I recognize. Yeah. Obviously, Grog uh, is mm, a name Grod. I recognize. Grod, yeah. sorry. Grod is a name I recognize as far as Gorilla City. Um, and, you know, I obviously assumed there would be other gorillas in Gorilla City, but that was mm-hmm. pretty much it. That was that was all the gorillas. <laughs> no, no, talking gorillas, it's long and proud history in DC Comics. Very yeah. many. Like, they discovered at some point in the Silver Age that when they put a talking gorilla yes, in a comic book, it sold. It sold. Beautiful. Than, so that was one of the things that they did, and everyone had their own talking gorilla. So you know every <laughs> just, every show on the network has a gorilla on it. Yeah. That's just bad logic, though, because it's Gorilla City, not Gorilla's City. Oh, I guess yeah. that's true. It could just have been one It's gorilla. a collective gorilla. <laughs> uh, so, Well, it's not two Gorilla City, and you knew about two of them. So, yeah. <laughs> all right, this is enough gorilla jokes. We, this may be all the gorilla jokes we have for this episode. Tune in, keep listening to find out. Uh, yes, so yeah, Solovar, what... what weird pick obviously the first guy that you go to when you have thousands of parallel earths threatened it's like let's get the king of gorilla city he's not even the most famous gorilla from gorilla city he's not even the most famous gorilla from gorilla city he's not even the most dramatic choice you could pick because you've got villains on the team which adds a little bit of drama Mm. not grod (laughs) this guy with his high popped collar which is a good look well, yeah. For a gorilla. For very anybody, regal. Really. Yes. Very regal. He's got a nice red cape. It, it, I'm it not looks em- very sharp. I'm not embarrassed to admit that like 70% of the time I saw him on a panel, I thought it was Doctor Strange. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> Tom, why Doctor... Nope. That's why still a gorilla. Doctor Strange a gorilla? I mean, I, I'll, just, I'll just go there and I'll say not enough comic book characters rock the nude with a red cape look. <laughs> um, and I th- I would like to see a little more of that in All comics. Right. I would a little more of naked characters with just red capes. I would oh, say yeah. there's almost the exact correct amount of characters <laughs> that are nude with popped red capes. Regardless, this isn't a weird choice. We're going to dial back a little bit right here. N- yeah. n- just for a second. Maybe I should have waited till the next character gets introduced. We talked about Secret Wars, right? Another yeah. big, epic, mm-hmm. sprawling. But by then, we already have a little bit of practice on how to do this kind of thing. And it was largely a, a response to Crisis. And also, yeah. a a toy sale pitch, yeah. right? This is here's the toys right. make the story. Now, as weird as that is, the choices in recruitment on this book. Which is, uh, as far as I know, not backed by like Mega or no no toy company. No, was no. This, this was conceived Weird. as a story. Crisis or uh, Secret Wars was conceived as a tie-in, and because it it required less research than Crisis on Infinite Earths, it it hit the stands first. Mm. They uh, when they were researching Crisis on Infinite Earths, they hired uh, Peter Sanderson, who is a comics historian. To read literally every DC comic that had ever been published. Dream job and or nightmare job? You decide. Job. I think a little of both. Right. I mean, right. he's going back to literally almost 50 years. So let's move comics. on to the next Harbinger Gatherer. What? That's not the way I would have chosen to say that. Anyways, Dawnstar? Is that what her name Dawn is? Dawnstar from the Legion of Superheroes, who is the American Indian member who had. Who had wings like Hawkgirl mm-hmm. and had super tracking powers yeah. because American Indian. Yeah, I I am not, yeah, I did not know that this was an American Indian character, but guess I could have guessed it very easily because of the number of times she explained that she could track anything. This <laughs> is problematic, but at a time when, honestly, I think people would have probably just been happy to see a character. She was on a, the page. like a character that was introduced in the 70s when they were trying to make the Legion more diverse. Right. Uh, more just, diverse than Matter Eater Lad? <laughs> yeah, well, the, because I mean. The this, Matter Eater population of America is well, well the, represented. The Silver Age <laughs> Legion, it was just all white guys and girls. And you you also had Brainiac 5 and, and uh, Chameleon Boy. And that was they about were it. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then Shadowlass, who is blue, but they didn't have any black people or other or other ethnicities, oh. and and they try they tried to correct that in the seventies with varying degrees of success. So our second character is introduced, kidnapped once again by Harbinger, and uh, yeah, that's about it. I had no idea who this character was. So no, n- I, I, she's kind I'll of fallen no by the wayside but over the years. Learning all that was awesome. Can I put in a, a, a little bit of a spoiler and a slash warning going through this list? This list is basically, with a couple exceptions, 
going to consist completely of characters who have whose names have never followed the phrase my favorite superhero is <laughs> that's not entirely true Sure. That's why I said well, with a couple exceptions. Firebrand is next, which There's, is interesting because this is a time pole, not necessarily from a specific Earth. I mean, I guess no. She, she was on close. Earth two. She was Earth two, but I, 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 don't, I don't. It's very odd. So we don't. She was from Justice Society. Okay, right. that's why. So we got a, a World War Two pole from there. Firebrand, mm-hmm. I was vaguely familiar with. I thought it was somewhat interesting to read this this pole because there was a moment of like, oh, do I hide my secret identity? Um, I don't know. Anybody else have anything else about that? I thought Firebrand was a really cool name. Yes. I, I enjoy Firebrand uh, because All-Star Squadron was another book that I was reading, and that was the book mm-hmm. that she was introduced oh, that, in. So that's cool. I was familiar with her. That's good, because like, that's mm, a so. book that you're reading at the time, you're interested yeah. in. Yeah, that's, that's a nice I, one, I so. enjoyed the All-Star Squadron. She, she was basically a female version of a Golden Age hero. There was a, uh, a guy named Firebrand who was from Quality Comics mm-hmm. who... Didn't have any superpowers. He would just run around punching people out, I believe. And he had a, a red and pink outfit with a see-through shirt. And uh, they they gave that to his sister, Danette Riley. And, nice. And she, and she coincidentally gets fire powers. So she <laughs> becomes Firebrand. It's, it's a good thing she got It was very convenient, very on brand. <laughs> nice. So, she sat, yeah. sat her brother down, had a little conversation. Was like, and she, she, just got, she just got like a little one-piece bathing suit. She was like, I'm going to wear this under the pink see-through shirt because 1942, that's probably not the best thing for me to do. It's about as risque as you can get. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Right. But I was excited about this next one. All mm-hmm. right. Uh, so the next one is Blue Beetle, right? right? Um, I am a really big fan of more of the modern iterations of the Blue Beetle, okay. uh, which this is very different from. Yeah. <laughs> but I also really enjoyed it. Like, I, I, I was having fun with it. So this is Ted Cord. Yes. Blue yes. Beetle. Yes, I love it. The Steve Ditko I, Blue Beetle. I'm missing uh, the, the more recent... Jaime Rodriguez. Jaime, Jaime Reyes, Reyes is the... Uh, yeah. Which I also... I think he's a, a pretty interesting take on the character. And so this little factoid, this is the first time Blue Beetle has reappeared or appeared at all in a DC published. Yeah, really, very first time he appeared in DC comic book, Uh, and it was it was exciting because this was this was like the latest group of characters that DC had acquired because their what was his title Uh, executive editor Dick Giordano he had worked uh, at Charlton back in the day so he had a great affection for these characters the Blue Beetle Captain Adam Nightshade Question a few others. And uh, they they basically DC acquired these characters sort of as a present to Dick Giordano. Yeah, and it was Aww. and that was from the seventies was the last time I believe Blue Beetle was in a book in a Charlton Comics book. So people yeah. would have been familiar with it, would have been excited if they had been told like there's Blue Beetle is going to make his reappearance. Yeah. And yeah. and when they did, they would have gotten effectively Ted Court. They would have gotten the Beetle that they had uh, known and yeah. loved and hadn't seen. In this years. was the character that Steve Ditko went on to do after he left Spider-Man in the 60s. So It's, so, it's, a, it's yeah. a lousy night for TV anyways. So. <laughs> I love that line. It's so good. No? Okay. <laughs> There, there's a, there's a lot of fun about yeah. this, this moment because he's, he's, you know, he's stopping a bank robbery, which is the most classic thing you can do. I think a bank robbery. There's a hostage situation. It's a hostage situation. I don't think they ever said what they were after. Yeah, I don't remember that. But uh, we want the things. Yeah, they, it, they were just like we have to get away from this hostage thing. And it's like, well, why did you take the hostage? And classic only, hostage. I think yeah. the only reasons. The, the second character to willingly go to this yeah. call to arms. So far, we're at fifty-fifty between kidnapping <laughs> and recruitment. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So good for you, monitor. Yep. yep You're yep, doing yep. this right. This next scene baffled me, and I have no context for it. This uh, where the shadow thing is taking over the shadow. So uh, this Harbinger is going to Atlantis, I think, during the Ice Age. Uh, Yeah. And is uh, looking for the sorcerer who Arian, the Lord of Atlantis. I have no context for this character. No idea who he is. Didn't wasn't even sure that Atlant what Atlantis was at this point in its history. Clearly on the surface, not on the water. Uh, Arian. Yeah, he. Arian is a character that's kind of fallen by the wayside. I don't think DC has really revived him much. He was he was around when before Atlantis had, had sunk into the water. He was he was the big mystic sorcerer guy, and uh, it started out as a backup in Warlord, I think. And uh, 
He he got it. It was popular so enough. He got s- his own series. He was secret history yeah. of Aquaman's Atlantis. That's right. I don't know if he was explicitly connected to Aquaman at first. I think it might have just been its own thing, and then mm, they yeah. eventually tied it into Aquaman. Because it does make sense that there would be at some point a pre-sunken Atlantis, right? Since part of the Atlantis myth is it's, it's not sunken. A, yeah. It's sunk. Yeah. That might be why Arian hasn't been around much. Right. It's a little problematic explaining exactly where on the timeline he falls. Well, this this was also another sort of problem that DC had uh, beyond just the parallel Earths, is they had, say, different versions of Atlantis. Like, Superman would visit Atlantis where it was all mermaids and mermen, mm. and then Aquaman had his own Atlantis that had no connection to that Atlantis, and then we had the Aryan Atlantis. And so they were these three different concepts that didn't really relate to each other and they had different versions of the future they had the future that where commandy the last boy yeah. on earth who had all the talking animals and then we had the legion of superheroes in the 30th century and those two futures didn't really jive together i, I remember as a kid thinking that maybe commandy lived in like a zoo inside <laughs> mm-hmm. legion and they just weren't telling him they're like oh dear like it was uh, like it was a star trek like we can't and we can't get inv- involved in this. We are just studying with this boy who's oh. with talking animals in this little bubble. Kind of like that the theory was so that, dark. Kind of like That's the theory that uh, that Mad Max the the nuclear uh, war never happened and Australia just did that. It's just Australia. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the yep. rest of the world uh, is normal. <laughs> yes, the, I love it. I mean, with with Commandy, that was basically uh, DC came to Jack Kirby in the early seventies, and they were like. Hey, can you do something for us like Planet of the Apes? Yeah, that makes sense. And that's and that's what you and Kirby was such a creative guy. It, it ends up only sort of tangentially related to Planet of the yeah, Apes. Yeah, and some things in the multiverse make sense where they just lives out there, but then mm-hmm. it, yeah. it gets a little confusing when you uh, have to have a crisis. But, so but Arian, this, the main thing you have to know is he's from Atlantis and he's a sorcerer. That's really his whole deal. So at this moment is when we first see uh, one of the shadows attacking Harbinger and apparently uh, well actually I'm not going to say it I know we've read two issues and we probably already know by now but did either of you two new readers have an idea of what happened in these four panels uh, with Harbinger where her eyes turned black I'll be honest I I didn't notice that I did not remember reading that page Oh yeah, yeah. I may I may have flipped past that page accidentally. It's a little hard because at this point, like the stories aren't splitting up. So like, all right, this is the end of Ted Cord, and then this happens. You know, th- this is she's. This is a yeah. whole other. It's, it's a little oblique because also Harbinger has has split off into all right. these duplicates to recruit all <clears throat> these people. So it's. She's yeah. she's kind of like uh like Madrox the multiple man. She's like split off into yeah. all these people to recruit each person individually. So, so theoretically, the one in like the insane asylum just a few pages before is not the same one in like the pre-sunken Atlantis. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Right. I couldn't figure that out at first. I was like, well, are they all like in her back pocket when she's going, or is she going yeah. back, dropping them off at the satellite? The shadow back? thing is just taken over like one of mm-hmm. of yeah. her duplicates, and, so, and that's the one that ends up in Atlantis. I believe uh, yes. so, yes. Yeah. So yeah. effectively what's happening is, and it's not clear, but Harburger did split herself out, go out and okay. recruit all those people. One of them gets infected and infects the whole. They do mention this. It's just a little confusing. You have to yeah. get two issues in before you're like, oh, that's what's happening. Uh, although you don't, still don't know. We don't know why. We we get the recruitment of Psycho Pirate, who is the weirdest villain that is constantly shoehorned as... You wouldn't expect this villain to be important. Yeah. He that's his role in the DC universe and this is the start of that. I would say he's got a rival. That oh. would be Dr. Light. Yes. For for that title. Yeah. I I got to say well, I'm I, sure will not come into play in this at all. Mm. Mm, stay tuned. Um <laughs> I, I gotta say, I love the Psycho Pirate. I love the, I love his power. I love that he he like displays an emotion on his face, and he and if he's looking at you, he makes you feel that. Like if yeah. he look, if he is like, you should be sad, and then he goes like, ah, and then suddenly you feel sad. I love that. That's such a cool original power. And, and the fact that it's addictive for him and it yeah. hurts, it's like, and it's he's a good got thing. a new I costume. Like that angle, yeah. the whole mm. thing that he's like, oh, once I start manipulating people's emotions, I don't want to stop. And I'm yes. like, ooh, yeah, yeah, it, it's interesting. This guy seems problematic. <laughs> I, I, I don't know if I want him on my team. He has a tenuous grip on sanity and reality and all and that. If we're just looking at power levels, this is an end of multiverse event. We've got a, a influential gorilla. 
Yeah. <laughs> We've got the the, the cornerstone <laughs> of every great team, <laughs> yes. influential gorilla. We got Lady with Wings who could track anything. It works right. for the Ghostbusters. Uh, we have Lady who can set things on fire. And I don't, I don't remember her being super powerful on that spectrum, but maybe. I'll, I'll give it to it. Yeah. She can't control fire. She can light fire. <laughs> well, yeah. she, at least she has the superpowers oven. of a match. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, we have Ted Cord. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Not, no, but you know, genius inventor, fine. Right. Uh, 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 this is our first villain, a uh, straight villain. Uh, uh-huh. and, oh, I guess we do have the. Uh, we didn't get uh, the wizard from Atlantis yet, but we see her on her way. Yeah. Um, so we do see our first straight villain in this, who, I mean, interesting, but it doesn't seem like the multiverse destroying event would have a lot to do with mildly and changing there, people's emotions. There's another weird hand wave. In, in the second issue where, where Harbinger says to the Monitor, she's like, why did we recruit him again? And the Monitor is like, the menace we face is one of emotion. And it's like, wait, antimatter consuming parallel Earths is a menace of emotion? And it's I, angry antimatter. I, I don't know. I don't get that. And it's, and it's just... Uh, Marv wanted the psycho pirate in the story. We're, we're going long for the first episode because there's so many introductions. Uh, yeah. We do eventually get to our wizard here. It's an interesting battle. First experience that Harbinger is actually maybe a little dark, although her dark eyes have now become bright white, so the coloring is very confusing at this. Um, I, I don't have much to say to this other than, hey, look, we've got geometric patterns behind the hand of a wizard. I'm glad. That was his uh, like symbol Yeah, with those intersecting triangles. And we go right into Firebrand. Firestorm. 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 I'm sorry. We ready to firebrand. Firestorm, the nuclear man. Yeah. So. Which. Yeah. Okay. We've got to have confusing name crossovers, too. Of course. We, we Did we really need two fired people? <laughs> so I've got two questions. Again, all right, I all kept right, track James. of this all just fine when I was 10. James. <laughs> yes. I've got two questions here. So uh, my big uh, introduction to Firestorm yeah, is I'll, from I'll the Arrowverse. So I'm sure. so excited. Um, okay. From the and Flash show. Yeah. He just has fire powers. But here he seems to have like no, some sort of matter manipulation, he right? Had yeah. Does the, he have more? I, I feel as he get more. The as way we get they more into explain it in the Flash, I think, is that he controls nuclear reactions. Okay, but that he really likes doing fire. Like okay, gets, he, that's the effect. Yeah, yeah. but still, even nuclear reactions, he's like changing ice into flowers. A panel later, right? His his power, his basic deal was he would rearrange the molecules in stuff and just transform it. Yeah, so like he could. Okay. Are he there could, molecules in fire, though? Sure, sure. He enough. would he would just <laughs> okay. transmute stuff. So that was basically yeah, what, matter what his particles, deal was. The whole deal. The second thing I have is this the first sort of thing with him and Killer, uh, Frost? Killer Frost? I'm so glad this came up because, because it's we're a thing doing in the Arrowverse. The CW, and as far as I, yeah, it's a thing in the CW show. She is a villain of his in the comic, right? Yeah, that I'm that yeah. I aware that I'm aware. I of. believe this is the first time they make out for a very awkward long period <laughs> yeah. of time. Yeah, because uh, Killer Frost, her original deal was uh, she she was very homicidal. And right. she was like, I, I believe, a jilted uh, uh, lover of Professor Martin Stein, who was one half of Firestorm, because Firestorm's okay. the two guys. Right, the two guys together. Ronnie right? Raymond and... Ronnie and, Raymond and... Yeah, and they merged together to become Firestorm, mm-hmm. which was kind of a neat thing. And yeah, she was... There have been a few different versions of Killer Frost, and this is the first Killer Frost, if I remember correctly. It might be the second. This is... There have been a few. super problematic. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. She, they roofie her into falling... I get that, like, hey, we we need you for some reason. We have a fire person. We need an ice person. Right. So you're the person we're going to use, even though we have a molecule person who could technically do both. But, hey, we, get, we need you to be a little less killer. Yeah. Why does the emotion, first of all, why does Psycho Pirate's emotion of smile be like lustful after fire? What unwritten thing is, is there a slash fic for, for Psycho Pirate and uh, Firestorm? He was shipping I would, I would, Firestorm I, yeah. and in Killer well, Frost. He just thought that <laughs> he he he's just writing fanfic in Arkham Asylum. Oh, man, <laughs> that is awesome. I want to believe that world exists. <laughs> I'm trying to find the line. There's there's this one line in there where there's, well, she's not that ugly. Yeah, he yeah, does. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah Firestorm on. is like, uh, she was trying work. to kill me a minute ago, but 
She likes me now, and she's making out with me. I'll go with it. Later yeah. on, when they're in uh, the monitor's uh, base, he's he's contemplating it. Yeah. 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 Uh, all right. Like, oh, man. So at this point, they, all the heroes have... We get a beautiful splash page of all the heroes and many who we weren't introduced to, which we'll quickly touch on, uh, heroes and villains, I should right. say, hanging out in the monitor's waiting room, waiting to speak <laughs> to who summoned them there. Yeah. And we've get, we get... Uh, Gray Temple Superman. Oh yeah, Would the like Earth Two the... Superman. We've yeah. got Geoforce. Geoforce from the Outsiders, which which yeah. are all characters I just learned about by watching uh, the new uh, version of um, the Young Justice. Uh, oh, Teen Titans. No, no, Teen no the Titans. Young Chi- Justice. Uh, young Justice anime. Or... Yes, okay. Season, okay. animated okay. show the season animated, three. Yeah. I yes. just got all introduced to all the Outsiders characters and was actually just recently rereading their backstories. Oh, oh great. great, good. So, all right. This that was a fun. A so you're fun up thing to speed to on Geoforce. I am yeah. indeed up to speed on Geoforce. Nice. Cyborg's there, which Cyborg. everyone remembers Recently from cartoons. Yeah, uh, the Super- John Stewart Green Lantern. Yeah, yep. right. This was like right after John Stewart had taken over from Hal Jordan uh, full time. Is that? Polaris there? Dr. Polaris. Polaris. Yes. Yeah. He Talk. was he was a supervillain. He had magnetic powers and he had uh, multiple personalities. He uh, the only personality that's showing up now is bitch. He yeah. is very very He, he was like a Jekyll and Hyde kind of oh, guy, okay. but yeah. yeah. There's Obsidian. Obsidian. I did not Who, uh, yeah. If I remember correctly, that's Alan Scott's son? Yes. Yes, oh, wow. uh, Obsidian. Got the Golden Age Green Lantern. It, he was in a group called Infinity Incorporated, who were basically the sons and daughters of the Justice Society. Because the Justice Society, they were all the older characters because they originated in the forties. Mm-hmm. So these were their kids who were in their twenties. And a character whom I've never met before, but whose name is the best name I've ever read: Simon. 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 Simon, but with a silent P. His, his power is PSI. His power is that he likes to do drawings, and they come to life. <laughs> He he is a psychic. He has an exposed brain, which is a good look on anyone. He has a little <laughs> glass yeah. helmet thing, and then you can see his brain, and he's got a ponytail, he, and he wears a ponytail. long pink gown. That yep. is the ultimate mullet. He is a <laughs> total business. It, might, it might be more of a rat tail. Yeah. I don't know. Is it, is it a Arnie mullet? in I the back. Know. Yeah. It is crazy, and he is my favorite character of all time. Yeah. The ultimate mullet. Yeah. He was, he was in a villain group called the Fearsome Five, who fought the, the Titans. Sorry, the other four didn't rate. Yeah. Uh, he, w- he was in a group with, let's see if I can name the others, Dr. Light, uh, Gizmo, who is like this, <laughs> who is a little person who invented stuff. Invented gizmos, and then we had Mammoth, who was this big strongman type, yep. mm. and Shimmer was that her name? He had a sister who who also like transmuted stuff. Oh, I can't remember because she was not in the the yeah. Teen Titans animated show. They replaced her with somebody else. I think her name, her name was Shimmer, and she had like that uh, sounds right. Yeah, yeah. All right, so at this point, basically, monsters attack. It's the shadows, these things that look suspiciously like the monitor. Yep. And uh, the heroes uh, attempt to stop them, but th- can't really. And mm-hmm. there's another couple awkward scenes between Firestar and Firestorm. And, uh, <laughs> Your buns won't get a bruising. Yeah. <laughs> this this was basically just, you know, Marv needed a humorous subplot in there. Yeah, so he got he, it. He was I am like, he did it. Did he, though? <laughs> Other than the yes. problematic origin of this subplot, I am on board. It, it was 1985. That was still totally okay. Yeah, I totally fine. get it. It's yeah. in context, totally works. So yes, the monitor is the monitor finally makes his actual appearance. I like nice that he point. gets rid of the shadows in the most logical way possible. He Turn turns on. on the lights. <laughs> yeah, as far as we know, that's all great. he actually does. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so but a great issue. great splash page with him. With yeah. he's, he's got a cool George yeah. Paris costume, and he, he's a very striking looking character. So, what do we think? First issue, were you on board? Were you signed up and ready to, for more, or were you like, "What did I agree to?" It was a little exhausting. I don't. Yeah. Is that yeah. the it's right a lot? Way to it hits it? you with it's, a lot. It's yeah. a lot. I definitely. I think I liked most of the second one a little bit more, just because we're done with all the inner the. Mm-hmm. You know the introductions and stuff. That being said, when characters I knew appeared, I, I was super excited. I'm like, oh look, an, an old version of Blue Beetle. I'm like, oh look, the original Firestorm and Killer Frost. Mm-hmm. You know, like that stuff was really cool. Yeah, I I would agree. I'm gonna say I find reading this to be a chore. Uh, it's it's I find the storytelling very tedious. Uh, I'm not 
as a person who was not a big DC fan, not a big devotee of these characters, I I find that I'm not given a reason to care about most of them. Uh, and uh, honestly, yeah, it's, yeah. It, it's definitely at this point, I would not continue to read this if we were not doing this show. Yeah, it, mm. it's. I wonder what your opinion would be at the time. Like, there's there's sort of a, a sense of, oh man, I don't want to be left out because this is supposed to be a big event. Yeah. yeah. But there is so much setup in this and very little emotional. I feel like I would probably interest. be saying, and, you know, I, Sum Again, this up it's for a me. Chore. Yeah, I, 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 I don't want to be left out. But. So my take on this is, it's definitely a, a product of its time, uh, and it's almost as if it was designed to be read in a graphic novel format, which it definitely was not. So that's a very odd thing to to see for a book at this period. But I think also books at that period had these really ridiculous highs. Like you just wanted to see super powered people facing incredible odds. Yeah. I and I don't know if you really needed like a really complicated, engrossing character development story at that period. And hopefully that does come a little bit later on. I think what's a surprise to me is that I assume some of these characters were more popular or they had in the first issue that we had a lot going on with these characters. That's why they were picked for crisis. So finding out, say for example, like this is the first appearance of blue beetle in a, a DC book was mm-hmm. like shocking to me. Yeah. yeah. Because like I assumed that these characters had like stuff going on and, and that's, that's why one of the better examples. Right they made some very offbeat character selections in the first issue. And I think that was probably just a conscious choice. They were trying to show the depth and breadth of DC's characters, like the wide variety of mm-hmm. of places yeah. that DC has. And yeah, the, I guess and it's, to it's like, we're going to get somebody from the Legion, we're going to get somebody from Infinity Incorporated, and somebody from this book right. and that book. And I, Make sure yeah. that you know what we're collapsing. I feel, mm-hmm. like, yes. I feel like I would have mixed that up with some characters I know. I feel like my buy-in is immediately higher in like the beginning of the second volume when we see like Flash walk out of like his future right, crumbling right. Definitely with Batman. And I'm like, whoa. Yeah, it yeah, is yeah. a little bit more, I would say, traditional in the form of event comic in the second issue, which we will get to. Hey, thanks for listening. If you enjoy this episode of Near Mint, please like, follow, and subscribe so you can get the latest in the podcatcher of your choice. Oh, and leave us a good review so more people find out about the show. It really does help a lot. See you next time. This has been a non-productive media presentation. Executive producer, Frank Hablaoui. This program and many others like it on the Non-Productive Network is distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. Please share it, but ask before trying to change it or sell it. For more information, visit non-productive.com.